You're listening to a podcast from Turners Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. Thank you, Jeff. <clears throat> yeah, we are friends. Hopefully we'll still be friends at the end of the service. <laughs> I have been here before in 2017. He was very brave. He he felt able to go to India and leave me in his pulpit. Very dangerous thing to do. And I was the one who went up into the, the balcony and prayed for people, if you don't remember. How many people do remember me here the last time? <laughs> Thank you. That's an encouragement in and of itself. Okay. I want to read a couple of short passages of Scripture. The first one is in Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. One of the prayer requests struck home to me very, very poignantly this morning. I think the lady's name is Tanya. Is she the lady who's had a stroke? Right. Now, three years ago, in January 2016, and I came here a year after that, I had a stroke. Now, I don't know whether she had a left-hand side or a right-hand side stroke. Does anybody know? Now, you might say, what difference does that make? It makes a difference in terms of recovery. The left-hand side of your body is controlled by the right-hand side of your brain. And the, le- the right-hand side of your body is controlled by the left-hand side of your brain. Left-hand side of, stro- left-hand side of body strokes usually recover quickly and are not as severe as right-hand. But when you're praying for people, a lot of people will pray for the physical symptoms. But pray for the brain and that the messages from the brain get through to the parts of the body that need to get through. And we can make a difference in prayer. Because prayer changes nothing. You listening to what I'm saying? Prayer changes nothing. It's whom we pray to that makes the difference. Lots of people pray, but it's because of whom we pray to that makes the difference. We pray to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't pray to just any God. We pray to the only true God. The one who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And that triune God is where we place our confidence in his character and in his nature, not in the means of prayer. Now, prayer is important, but it's only a means to activate the one who has the power. And he has the power. He has the power. I haven't been healed completely from my stroke of three years ago, but I'm still trusting and believing that that God that I believe in is going to do it. I get frustrated at times, and it'll be very frustrating for Tanya. So please pray that people around her have the grace and the patience to come with her in the recovery, because sometimes it's one step forward and two and two steps back, and it's not an easy path. So pray for her and support her and her husband as he goes through, and the family. And we pray, Lord, for Tanya right now. We pray for a divine intervention in her 
on our brain, Lord, whatever. You know what side of the body it is. You know what needs to be activated. So in Jesus' name, we command a blessing to Tanya right now and to her husband. Is her husband Cliff? And Lord, I pray that you would bring Cliff through this operation in Jesus' name. Intervene now, Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit. At this moment, we are in agreement. And when there's agreement, there is power. Because there's power in agreement. So Lord, I pray that you would just add your anointing to this prayer and bring intervention which people will testify about even this week in Jesus' name. And comfort and bring your peace and love to both of them and to their two little boys. We pray for intervention in their situations with their restrictions and limitations. We pray, Lord, that you'd come and heal their minds and heal their bodies. We pray against the spirit of autism in Jesus' name and command the spirit of autism to let go of those two little boys in Jesus' name. We pray your healing and your blessing into that situation right now. And give us the faith to believe as a gift right now, as a family and as a congregation, that we are agreed on this because the Spirit has revealed it. And it's the Spirit's time for intervention and healing. In Jesus' name. Amen. I wasn't expecting that this morning, but I, I just felt prophetically there was something to impart in that. Okay, Daniel chapter 4. Verse 10. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. Do you have visions when your head's on your bed? I, well, it depends on how old you are. That's what scripture says, doesn't it? It says, your young men shall see visions, Joel chapter 2, and your old men shall dream dreams. I'm afraid I've now come, having come, become 65 this year, I've probably been passed into the class of old men. Now, I'm not having visions anymore, but I still have vision. But you know what the most important vision to have is a vision of the Lord. Not a vision of his work, but the vision of the Lord himself. And when you lose the vision of the Lord or it gets a bit blurred and foggy, you ask the Holy Spirit to refocus you and have a clear vision of Jesus. Because that's what John had and gives us in John's Gospel, chapter 1. It says, Jesus, full of grace and truth. And I want you just for a minute to get that cameo of Jesus into your mind and into your spirit. Jesus, full of grace and truth. I've met people who've been very gracious, too gracious probably, and there wasn't much truth and backbone to them. I've met many, many people, particularly with my accent, where I come from, who are full of truth and very little grace. You just have to look at the TV and the TV news. By the way, if you don't know where I'm from, it's from Northern Ireland. Okay, so that's what we have in Jesus. Not, he's not an alloy of grace and an alloy of truth. An alloy is a mixture, and he's not a mixture of grace and truth. He's fully grace and fully truth. 100% truth and 100% grace. Why? That's our Jesus. Now just... Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a little cameo. That's a picture of Jesus right now. Focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Focus on him and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus. And a fresh understanding and revelation of who he is as being full of grace and full of truth.
So for those of us who are older, what chorus comes to mind when you do that? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. I learned that as a little boy, and it's never gone, but it's a truth. When I sing that chorus, something turns, something switches, because your focus switches. And what we've just done has switched our focus. And you know what Psalm 104 says? What you've just done is meditation. It's not Eastern meditation. It's meditation on him. It says in Psalm 104, My meditation of him shall be sweet. Shall be sweet. And there's a sweetness when we focus on Jesus. Do you sense the sweetness of his presence right now? So let's just go back into that just for a second and think of Jesus. Some aspect of Jesus and his character that you need this morning to minister to you. It might be his love. It might be his affirmation. It might be physical healing. It might be emotional healing. It might be spiritual realignment with himself. Come Holy Spirit. Reveal the Lord Jesus in a fresh and fuller way to each one of us this morning. Because we need you. Verse 10 says, These were the visions of my head. Daniel chapter 4, while on my bed. It's, I have amazing times in the morning when God wakens me. And I have visions on my bed. Visions of the Lord. Sometimes visions of my own life. And think, I need to repent. I need to confess. We need to use these times for the Lord to do his work. What I call open heart surgery. And we all need to go through that. A tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached into the heavens and it could be seen at the ends of the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the fields found shade under, under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions in my head while on my bed and there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. Do you feel safe when you go to sleep? Now this isn't what I was intending to say this morning, but lots of the Lord's people suffer from lack of physical sleep. But yet in Psalm 127 verse 2 it says, I give unto my beloved rest or sleep. Sleep is the way that our bodies get refreshed, our minds get refreshed. And how, just a show of hands, how many people here have got a problem sleeping? I would say nearly 50% of the congregation. I believe the enemy is robbing you of your inheritance in Christ. I will, I give my beloved Unto my beloved, sleep and rest. Those of you who struggle sleeping, just put your hands up again, please. Lord, I pray that you would restore the inheritance that you've given us in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. That you would bring, this, bring rest and sleep. We pray against restlessness 
and against sleeplessness. And we bring the gift of sleep into the bodies and minds and lives of all these who put their hands up. And anybody else who's too shy to put their hands up. We pray by your spirit you would move and restore, restore confidence that tonight they're going to have a good sleep. Lord, I pray that tonight they will receive by faith and confidence in you that you're going to restore those, that sleep and that rest to them. Rest in their physical bodies, mental bodies, and Lord, in their emotions and in their spirits. Come Holy Spirit. Brood. Brood over this congregation and restore your inheritance through the, the gift of sleep being restored. And all that means and give us as your children. Amen. I saw, verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one. You're not alone when you're sleeping. You're not alone when you're sleeping. There's no place for fear. There's a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. There is the, the angel of the Lord encampeth around those who fear him. And fear doesn't mean to be scared. It means to have respect and awe of him. We stand in awe of you. He's here this morning. We, there's a cross on the wall. And that reminds us of his death. Personally, I was brought up that I don't need crosses on walls or around people's necks because I was brought up in a very evangelical, reformed Protestant background in Northern Ireland. I was actually brought up Presbyterian, but most of my life I've been associated with those known as brethren. Or blethren, as my grandmother used to say. <laughs> but we need to focus on him. And he looks after us. We, he is here. And he is with you. Those of you are fearful of going to sleep. God wants to restore your confidence in him. He says, when I awake, I awake with your likeness. And that's because he can reveal things. Ask him. Ask him to give you sleep at night. Ask him to give you his presence. Commit your sleep to him intentionally. You know, when I can't sleep, you know what I do? I speak in tongues. I speak in tongues because that edifies my own spirit and I, I give it to the Lord and I focus on him. Now, I'm not getting into tongues at all that this morning. I'll leave that for him to sort out. Okay? But, if I've opened up a can, can of worms, I make no apologies. Because the Apostle Paul says, I would that you all speak in tongues. Now, would you have wished for something that wasn't potentially there? I don't know. I wouldn't dogmatically say, say that, but I could say this. You're not a second-class citizen in heaven if you don't speak in tongues. But it does edify you. And I believe that I have been, I've seen tongues work as spiritual warfare in many different situations. And if you want to talk to me about tongues afterwards or anything else, talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> but I can say with the Apostle Paul, I speak in tongues more than you want. I speak in tongues personally and I speak in tongues publicly and I, and I have also the gift of interpretation. If there's a public tongue, it must be interpreted. And that was just free teaching. And I won't even charge for that, that little bit. Okay.
He did say it was going to be different, didn't he? Sorry, let me tell Oh, he noticed it was getting empty. There's nothing worse than a dry preacher. A holy one coming down from heaven. He comes down from heaven. He comes down from heaven. He reaches down into our minds and our spirits and in the night and he ministers to us. Do you know why he ministers to you and me? Because he loves us. We are so precious to him. We are so important to him. We are so valuable. You know, and you know how he proved it? We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And we never forget that. And we remember that later on as we remember him in the manner of his own appointment. Do this in remembrance of me. What a privilege. And even if you do it every week, make sure it's fresh. Make sure that your meditation of him is fresh and my meditation of him is fresh. And it's not some old religious rule or regulation, but you actually get refreshed and get excited by him meeting with us and us meeting with him. And that's then verse 17. This decision is by the, de by the decree of the watchers. The watchers. Angels look after you and look over you. I believe each one of us have got a guardian angel. And well, how that works out. If you want to read a good book on angels, it's a book by Billy Graham called The Angels. And he's, and he's gone to be with the angels now. I wish I had his legacy. Don't you? This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know, the living may know, the most high God rules in the kingdom of men. Have you noticed that the world is being ruled by men with bad haircuts? <laughs> Trump? Boris and North Korea. <laughs> Just find out where their barbers are and I will avoid them. Seriously though, whether you, no matter what your political views, no matter what you think of the state of the world, the most high God rules in the kingdom of men. Beloved Amen. and chosen ones this morning, we need to know that we have nothing to fear. Now, I went to a prayer meeting at London Arena at Wembley last Saturday. It lasted eight hours. We're praying for our country and our nation. And everybody, because there was chaos with rail and roads last weekend, it was, it was decreed a day of chaos by those who want to throw everything up in the air. And Colin Urquhart was on the platform. And this is what he was. This is what he said, and I believe this is prophetic. People are getting into crisis mode. The believers are getting uncertain, and we are afraid as those in the world. We've no reason to be, because the Lord said to him, "What crisis? Because there's no crisis in heaven. There's no crisis in the Godhead. There is no conflict between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit." The, their decrees that were made before the foundation of the earth are still fresh 
and the promises that are made will be fulfilled. The purposes of God will not be thwarted by any human being or every or any devil or any demon. Because the promises of God are yes and amen in him. Beloved, we are not in crisis. We are not in chaos. We have a sovereign God who rules. He is working to will and to do of his own good pleasure in each one of us. And every believer in the world has a work of God going on in them. No matter what they believe about the Holy Spirit or about anybody else, he'll still do his work. They'll just use different terminology for different people in different places so they may get on board. And the fact, if we have to adjust our terminology to stay in unity with our, our brethren, our sisters and our brothers, then what is what's costing us? Nothing. Where brethren dwell together in unity, there the Lord commands a blessing, even life forevermore. We need to be unified. The problem is we don't sometimes know who our brothers and sisters are these days. Because liberalism has come in. When I was being brought up in Northern Ireland in the 60s, liberalism was strong in the Bible colleges, etc., etc. And now the evangelical world is littered with liberal theology. And we need to make sure that we do what, what Paul says in Acts 2 and they, of the early believers. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. It's Luke who wrote about it, Paul. Um, they continued steadfastly or they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, prayer, and the breaking of bread. But the apostles' doctrine was the first thing in order. And we need to make sure that we get, that we won't all get our doctrine to agree with each other. We won't align everything with each other. Jeff won't align with me, although he should. Um, <laughs> and, and, and he thinks I should align with him. But I won't. Um, and everything. But and all the essential things, we are agreed. And we need to agree those things. And we need to be firm in those things. The doctrine of, when people say theology doesn't matter, they're talking poppycock. Because what you believe determines on what, on how you behave. What you believe determines how you behave. And that, therefore, if it's bad doctrine, it will lead to bad behavior. And if it's good doctrine, it it should lead to good behavior. And therefore, mirroring, Northern Irish people can't say this, mirroring the Lord Jesus Christ more accurately. Because that's what doctrine is about. It's about being aligned with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Most High God rules in the kingdom of men. So we need not be afraid. Now, that, when I was thinking about what I should preach on this morning, this is what came to mind. A word that will deal with the, the big out there. Internationally, that is true. So it doesn't matter about the Taliban. It doesn't matter about who is in the Kremlin. It doesn't matter who is in the White House. It doesn't matter who's in Downing Street. The Most High God rules in the kingdom of men. And he's working out his purposes. We don't can't see it. You know, even in my own life, there's things that take me by surprise. So, we had a coffee shop in the centre of Bedford, beside the bus station, where many, many people on the fringes of society would come. Alcoholics, drug addicts, and then it was hijacked by squatters, 
and it was closed. And the people who got saved during those days are in, in stream dried up. And we've been moving on, still preaching the gospel, still witnessing as believers, scattered servants, help me. Each one of you is a scattered servant. Wherever God has put you to live and to work, you are his person. And you have the privilege, the responsibility, and I want to say you have the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness in your workplace, in your street, wherever, in your family, wherever you find yourself. All you need is the anointing, the empowering, and the enabling of the Holy Spirit for those situations. And any believer has that. Every believer has that. Not just somebody who stands up the front and has the title pastor or elder or any other name that you want to give us or don't want to give us. But the reality is every single one of us carry within us the same Jesus and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. But most believers don't realize that. Most believers don't exercise that authority and that power. You're doing that by living in the world. Sometimes a smile could do that. In a situation which is toxic at work or in, the, in your street, if you smile out of a heart for Jesus, the Holy Spirit will take that smile and the Holy Spirit will apply that, that smile to somebody's life. It's called the kingdom of God. It's the rule and the reign of Jesus. That's what the kingdom, kingdom means, the rule and the reign. The government of God in every situation. We can't always see how it works, but we believe it's going on all the time. So we're not fearful. We're not scared. So that's one aspect, the world. And then there's the local aspect, where we live in Britain today. Humanly speaking, if you don't have Jesus, it is a crisis. If you don't have Jesus to give you the perspective and the proper uh, perspective and things, it is a crisis. It's not my grandson that doesn't call Brexit. Bre Brexit. Brexit. He calls it breakfast. Where I come from, it's a dog's breakfast. You've heard that expression, haven't you? Well, that's exactly what we've got on our hands, humanly speaking. But God has a purpose in it all. And we've got the whole fasten our seatbelts, spiritually speaking, and hold on. Because it's going to be a rough ride. But our God reigns. Amen. In every situation, in every circumstance, our God reigns. Now there is another area and zone of application. Not just internationally and then nationally. What's going to happen to the United Kingdom? I don't know. I've even sat in prayer meeting and asked myself, I asked the Lord, was the United Kingdom your idea in the first place? I said that as an Ulster man. I mean, I was brought up in the army foster camp. Did I hear hallelujah? <laughs> anyway, I was brought up in, in that camp. So, I'm not sure what's what at the moment, but I know who is. Yeah. And I've got to trust that no matter what happens, even in the iron, the iron, and it, I did history at A level. And in 1884, who was in power? In England in 1884. W.E. Gladstone. Okay, and he had, Home Rule was on his 
his agenda. Do you know, have you noticed something? The Irish question, as my mother says, is still a big problem. We're, she said, you're, she points the finger at me, you're the problem. But I said, I've got to come to, I, this is a big journey for me. A big, big journey for me. Everything that I believed in politically and culturally is in danger of being thrown up in the air. And I've got to hold up. I have had to examine my heart about sectarianism. I've had to change my view over the years about Catholicism. And I had, to, I had a revelation. I believe in justification by faith alone. Sorry, did I hear an amen? But, and I believe in that absolutely. But I don't believe you can love Jesus. You can, you can have a relationship with Jesus without faith. But I also believe you can't love Jesus without faith. People who love Jesus, faith, there's an element of faith in love. God many, many years ago showed me by cleaning windows when I was unemployed around Lisbon in Northern Ireland. And I came across a man reading his Bible as I looked through his window, cleaning his window. When I went to pay and push the button, and they do pay, not here. And uh, he, he came to the door and I said, Oh, are you a believer? He says, I'm a Catholic believer. Now I had met some before. But I don't call them converted Catholics anymore because that is disrespectful to the backgrounds. And there would be, there's a reaction in the, in the South of Ireland amongst those who become believers. But they, they're called Catholic background believers. And there are many of them, that, and they even call themselves evangelical Catholics. And they may not even be charismatic yet. So that's the journey they're on. I'm on a journey, but I know this. God's kingdom is more important than my upbringing and my cultural stuff. And I have had to deal with, I baptized an ex-IRA man on the 8th of January, was it 2018? 2018 in, in Bedford. How bizarre is that? An Ulster prod, as he calls me, baptizing what I would call a Fenian. And, and, and listen, a Fenian is a, a member of an Irish army, the Irish army. It's a historical term, but it's also a derogatory term. And I've got to, I've got to let the Holy Spirit deal with that. Whatever is your cultural baggage or your ecclesiastical and church background baggage, you have to jettison it. You have to let the Holy Spirit come and renew your thinking. And nothing sacred except what God has declared sacred. And that's not easy. Not easy at all. So then we come not only from the international and the national and then to the local, what's happening in our nation and our country at the moment. Here, I'm going to say something really controversial. Two things. One, you get the government you, you deserve. The nation has the government it deserves because the nation is godless and it's godless through its own wrong choices. And the, the nation has willfully chosen to say goodbye to God. And we need to pray for mercy. And we need to pray 2, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen into our land. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and call to me and repent of, turn from their wicked ways, that means repent, change your mind, change your behavior, and change your heart. And I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Now I know that was said to Israel, but I'm not going to get into all that stuff. 
I just believe God still loves nations. And it says, may all the people praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. And that's every ethnic group. The word that is used for the, all the peoples is ethnos. It's every nation. Some of the boundaries that have been drawn up by man are not his boundaries. And we need to realize that. You know, people talk, talk about multicultural church. I don't believe God's will is multicultural church. It's multi-ethnic church. And I have, because when one person comes, the Nigeria, I have been the pastor of a black majority church in London for 28 years before I went to Bedford. And people used to say, oh, it's great to have a multicultural church. I don't want a multicultural church. I don't want everybody to bring in a different culture in the church. I want a monocultural church because that's what I believe God wants. And that is a kingdom culture church. And the people leave their own culture, whether it be Northern Irish, Southern Irish, Scottish, English, Nigerian, or Chinese, they leave their culture at the door. And they come in and find a common culture in the kingdom together. And that is what God wants. And if we model that as the church of Jesus Christ, we will have more and more people come to faith. Because that's what Peter says in 1 Peter 2. He says, we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, chosen people unto God. And when we model that, the world will see that we can live in harmony and how they can live in harmony. The problem is the church isn't very good at modeling that, is it? In terms of living in harmony with each other. And I know about that. Earlier on this year, our church went through a split. Two congregations from different backgrounds were brought together four years ago. And the elders outlined a vision. And the con the majority of the congregation basically said no. The only thing that was encouraging for me is that all the elders from both congregations followed the elders and my vision. Some people, they were blessed subtractions, to be honest. <laughs> they were blessed subtractions, but others who came with us, they were blessed additions. But, you know, the bizarre thing, God has caused the two congregations still to meet together monthly for prayer. Get your head around that. When, when you realize as a leader, I always say, the sign of a leader is somebody that people follow, and it was clearly that these people weren't prepared to follow me, or my leaders, or their own leaders for that matter, because there's no others and they meet on their own. But we still work with them. And through that situation, we've opened, the council came to us and said, can you provide a drop-in in afternoons? And we said, we can do it one afternoon. We'll do it in their building, which we said have, because we have the majority of trustees. There is no acrimony that I know of, although there's probably stuff underneath that I don't know about, but I'd rather cover that by grace. And the reality is, we've seen five people come to faith this month through that drop-in. And we're baptizing the majority of them next Sunday. So if you'd buffered me next Sunday a year ago, I would have taken the building and then I'd cancel because there's no way I'm missing that. Because that's what that's what you get out of your bed for as a pastor or a church leader. For the people who do respond, for the people who do respond to the Holy Spirit's work. And we do that together. 
or we've seen people added to the church. And how are you feeling in your own personal lives? This is the main thrust. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace so that you might keep on believing and overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is hope? Hope is that wish that many people have had since 1966. I hope that England will win the World Cup again. All I can say, some hope and no hope and bog hope. Right, that's the only hope you have on that one. I even support England in those situations because Northern Ireland never win anything. They're so small. But I think, but may the God of hope, what is hope? Hope is the fulfillment and the, the assured expectation of the things that have been promised will come to pass. It's the belief and the expectation that the things promised in this book are true and that they will be fulfilled. An assured expectation. That is what hope is. And that's what we need in our lives. Those of you who may have partners who as yet don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, I'm here to say there is hope. For those who are struggling with illness or, or difficulties in relationships or at work, there is hope. For those of you who are afraid and frightened and full of fear because of what's happening in the world today and around us in our nation, there is hope. His name is Jesus. How do you spell hope? J-E-S-U-S. But we need a fresh download. And that's what this verse is also about. May the God of hope. Now in some verses it say may the so God the source of hope. I want to say he's not only the source of hope. He is the hope himself. It's God we seek. It's not just a fulfillment of our expectations. It's a, it's a revelation and an experience with the risen Lord Jesus Christ and, and through him with the Father. He's adopted you. He's adopted you. He's brought you into his family and he's brought you into his family not as I thought must be wrong. What does it say? Was it 5 to 12? Okay. But <laughs> <laughs> so I want to say to you this morning, if you need hope in a situation, even if you're already going to pray for, for sicknesses, put your hand up, because I've put it this hand up, we'll cut it down by just praying for those people who need a sense that God is on your case, and there's a situation in your life where you know that you need a divine intervention. If that's you, whether it's physical, emotional, men mental, or relational, or even in the job, in the job situation, or even in the church situation. You don't have to tell me what it is, just put your hand up. Well, that's, that's more than 50%. That's more like 75%. And I believe in the Word of God. May the God of hope fill you. That's a download, by the way. That means the God of hope will download joy and peace right now. So Lord, bring down the joy, that overflow of our hearts finding its place in your heart. Lord, would every single person here know that you are their hope and that their situation is not hopeless. And Lord, I pray that you would bring your expectations 
on the sense of fulfillment, release faith in this place as well, release hope. And you know what carries it all together? The love of God. The love of God. The love of God. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, I was brought up in the 60s in Belfast, and evangelicals were trying, were trying to disregard the importance of love because it was meaning liberal theology was coming in and everything was being watered down. But I want to tell you, we need to be covered up. And love is strong. Love is as strong as death. God is love. His very essence is love. You can't say God is righteousness. You can say he is righteous, but his nature is love. The only other thing you can say about God is God is light. But you can't say God is God is mercy or God is holiness. Because those are characteristics that are not his nature. His nature is love, his nature is light, and his nature is eternal. No beginning and no ending. That is our God. We can trust him. As my wife said in her first sermon that she ever preached. Yes. And she is a woman. Uh, <laughs> and she's uh, a good creature. But she said, God has a good track record. God has a good track record. I didn't really like the phrase at the time I told you that, but actually I've got to like it more over the years. God has a good track record. He is never going to let us down. Amen? Even though it may feel that you're being let down. Underneath your situation are the everlasting arms. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Joy comes from his heart. It's not this touchy feeling thing. It is coming deep, deep within from the relationship you have. It comes from intimacy with the Father and the Son by the Spirit. It comes from that nearness and dearness that you can only receive and enjoy in the secret place, in the private place, one-on-one with him yourself. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. Culture, nurture, cultivate it, grow it, enjoy him. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I was taught that in a Presbyterian Sunday school, and it's still the essence of my life. I enjoy him. I used to think as a youngster, and all that I'm on Sunday, it was enduring. I <laughs> <laughs> hope you're enjoying it this morning. And, and may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. The word peace is shallow. It's not just that peace be with you that people might say when they're doing communion. No, it's the whole rule and reign and government of his thinking and his order being brought into your thinking and your order and into your life. At every level, it's the way to live. It peace, shalom, his rule, his rule, his order. Lord, I pray for a new impartation and download of hope in this place. For individuals, for this church as a fellowship in its witness, as a fellowship and in the time, I pray, Lord, that you would release, you'd be hope carriers. Amen? Amen. You'd be hope carriers. Because we're already glory carriers. You know the glory of God's been here this morning, those moments that you felt his presence. And I have felt his presence this morning as we've met together. 
It's the glory of God. You know, the word for glory is kabod in the Hebrew. It's a heavy word. Kabod. It's, it's, it's literally means the weight. The weight of his presence. It doesn't mean, it means the heaviness of presence. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing, a negative thing, in terms of a weighing you down. It's the sense that his weight comes into this place and fills this place. And I know that I sense that. Now, people have said to me, well, how can you feel that? That's over promising. Well, Jacob did. Surely the Lord is in this place. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Have you that expectation? Psalm 62, verse 5 says, My expectation is from him. In the NIV it says, My hope is in him. But it's actually, in other versions, it's my expectation is from him. When you when you get expectations from him, you're never disappointed. When you set your own expectations, you will often be disappointed. If you let others set your expectations, whether it be your mom or dad or your elders or somebody else that has influence in your life, those expectations may not be realized. But when the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, on behalf of the Father, sets your expectations, you will never be disappointed. Because he who has promised is faithful. As the word says, not me. I'm way off time. The service is blown to bits in terms of the tour. I should apologize for the love of